Have you ever met a spy? If you have, you might not know. You see, a spy has a mission that they're on, but they don't necessarily get to tell you that they're a spy. They don't reveal their identity. But yet they've got these missions that they're doing, missions to change the world. But they don't reveal their identity. So this got me thinking, we're not spies, because we do reveal our identity. But we do have missions, missions to change the world. Maybe we're diplomats. Last week, we talked about God as being the creator, the creator of the universe. And as the creator of the universe, he's the owner and the operator, and we are his managers. So we had God, owner-operator, leads to us being managers. This week, I want to present to you God as king. We are his diplomats. Not his spies, because we reveal that we work for him. But rather his diplomats. But, as diplomats, one of the things we need to recognize is that a diplomat does not necessarily reveal all of the details of his mission to the world. The diplomat has aspects of his mission that even though he identifies with the country, with the king, there are some aspects that he doesn't reveal the whole mission to the world. So today, we're going to look at Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, what I want you to see is that we're going to cover four aspects of our mission as diplomats. We're going to cover the fact that we are to be giving. That's a key aspect of our diplomacy. But not just giving, we are going to be prayerful. That's the second key aspect of our diplomacy. The third is we're going to identify and keep our identity as being part of the kingdom. And finally, what we're going to see is that we invest wisely. So look for those in Matthew chapter 6, and you can be turning to Matthew chapter 6. I want to introduce to you the ideas of Matthew 6 before we actually dig into the passage itself. Matthew 6 follows Matthew 5. Big reveal. Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 together form what are often called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And it really theologically is a key area where God introduces how life is in his kingdom. What his ideals are for living in God's kingdom. Now we're in an interesting position. Because we are citizens of heaven. If you have accepted Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sins, then you are a citizen of heaven. You belong to the kingdom. You serve the king. But, here's the other big reveal. You all live on earth. Right? Okay. We're diplomats. The other day, uh, Wednesday, somebody was praying, and I heard them praying, and they prayed about the church as being the embassy on this earth. I thought that was really cool. Uh, we are. We're in the embassy right now. When we go out, we represent the king. So Matthew 6, Matthew 6 follows Matthew 5, and Matthew 5 talks about our relationship with other people. So we've got classic passages like don't murder, don't commit adultery, be careful, love your enemies, Matthew 5. Matthew 6 then highlights 
how we are to live in respect to God, in respect to the king. What is the key aspects of our diplomacy? So that's where we're going to start. And I'm going to read bit by bit today. So we're going to start reading in verses 2 through 4, and I'm going to go ahead and read this for you, and then we're going to talk about what's going on in this passage. So Matthew 6, starting, uh, I'll read verse 1, but really starting through verse 4. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So in verses 2 through 4, what I see is a command. Give, but do so covertly. We're commanded to give. We're expected to be giving people. But we are to do so covertly. I want you to notice in verse 2, there's an expectation. So first of all, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, so if by some chance you decide that at some point in your life you're going to give. That's not what it says. No. It says, when you give. There's an expectation here. An expectation that we are giving people. It's actually a little stronger than that. It's an idea of continuity. Within there, there's what's called continuous aspect. We really could say, when you're giving. It's not just a one and done. You don't get to say, well, I, I, when I was 22, I gave, so I'm done. I'm, I'm really righteous. I gave when I was 23 as well. No. That's not what this says. When you give, there's an expectation that we are giving people. But it's supposed to be done covertly. And then there's a reward. It says that when we give covertly, our Father, who sees what is done in secret, rewards us. So there's expectation and there's reward. The idea here is that we give. God, who sees in secret, rewards openly. For diplomats, there's what's called humanitarian diplomacy. Around the world, we have diplomats in various areas of the world who are performing humanitarian acts on behalf of our government. Things like building a bridge or digging a well providing for the needs of people on behalf of our government, if they do it on their behalf, it doesn't do anything. If they do it on behalf of our government, people recognize, oh, wow, these are, these are good people over there across the pond. It's called humanitarian diplomacy because it represents us. We as Christians are to give. And to do so representing the kingdom, not representing ourselves. You might think, is this really such a big deal? I will challenge you, just go walk on the campus of most Christian colleges and you'll see that we haven't mastered this yet. Buildings are named after people all over the place. 
People like to have their name plastered. And what does the Bible say? They've received their reward. No, we are to give covertly. So the question that I have that I want to ask you in this point is how can I give that Christ might have a lasting impact on the needy? And notice how this is structured. I give not that I can impact people. I give that Christ might impact the needy. It is all about Christ. Everything that we talk about is all about Christ. At our church, we have a method that you can be part of. We have a benevolent offering that you can give towards, and then that is used to impact the needy. There are lots of ways you can give where you don't have to call attention to yourself so that Christ may impact the needy. So that's our first command. Give, but do so covertly. Let's move on to a longer passage now, verses 5 through 15. I'm going to read this, and then we'll talk about it. Verses 5 through 15 starts with, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We could easily have an entire sermon just there. But I want to really focus in on just a couple of things instead. The point I want to make is that we communicate, but don't draw attention to yourself. Communicate, but don't draw attention. If you interact with a diplomat, there is such thing as diplomatic phone calls where a diplomat has to contact the country which sent them. This is not the sort of thing that you do on the street corner on your cell phone for everybody to hear. Because the message that you have, the message that you have to communicate might not be top secret, but it might be sensitive. This passage here is telling us that we are to be communicating with home. But as we communicate with home, it should be done not out of communication, is our relationship with God. Does this mean we shouldn't have public prayer in church? No. That is not at all what this passage is talking about. That's something we do. We shouldn't use prayer as a tool for others to see us. Our prayer is something between us and God that we do in worship to God, in requesting God, in fellowship with God. It's not a display for others outside to see. Again, there's an expectation here. 
It doesn't say, if by chance you decide to pray. No, when you pray. We are to be praying people. If we're to be stewards, and in this case, diplomats, we need to spend some of that time that we have in prayer. A lot of that time that we have. A diplomat who doesn't phone home is called a tourist. And a diplomat who goes a long time without phoning home is called a broke tourist. If we're going to make it, we need to be communicating with home. Let's look at some of the instruction about this communication. The first thing we see is that we are not to be babbling. You know that at this point that I love words. And this word is it's just something cool that I have to share with you. It's, a, it's in Greek, it's an example of onomatopoeia, which means the word sounds like what it means. Okay? It's called bada logeo. That's the name of the word. And it's actually an Aramaic word, bada, combined with the word logos for word. And it's words that sound like bada, because if you think through, like, Snoopy characters talking, right? It's, it's that language that we can't understand at all what they're saying. For the Greeks, they thought that that sounded like bada, 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 bada. And that's what they're saying. Don't ramble on in meaningless words. It shouldn't be that we can say about somebody's prayer, oh, they said such and such. Or they went yada, yada, yada. Our prayers are to be purposeful, intentional. Our prayers are to be directed towards the holy God. We see that in verse 9. They are to acknowledge the perfect sovereignty of God. They should admit our complete and total dependence on God. They should involve requests for forgiveness and commitments to forgive others. They should ask for strength to be faithful to God. That's what it looks like to communicate with the home office, to communicate with the king. So what's my challenge for you, my action step that I want you to take, the instruction you should have? Will you commit to regular private check-ins with the king? Remember, a diplomat who doesn't phone home is called a tourist. We don't want to just be tourists. First of all, I don't think the scenery down here is as good as where we're from. We have a job here. Let's do it. We should be communicating with the king. Okay. We're going to keep moving forward in the passage. We're going to look at verses 16 through 18. Verse 16 says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What am I going to do with this part? Well, let's talk about what fasting is before I get to the point. Fasting was something that was very common in the New Testament. And what it was, was somebody would deprive themselves 
of a physical desire and physical need for a period of time in order to commit themselves to God providing for their physical needs. This is very much, as Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, man does not live by bread alone. That's what fasting was about, was declaring, I don't live by bread alone, but I live by the word of God. So in fasting, the purpose is to maintain your identity. That's what fasting was all about, was to maintain your identity as someone who depends on God, not on the physical things of the world that you might be tempted to depend on. You remove yourself from that for the purpose of maintaining your identity. But as you do so, as you maintain your identity, don't give yourself away. I have a brother who lives in Japan. He's raising his daughter, his wife and he are raising his daughter in Japan. And they love the culture that they get to partake in. They'll regularly send Emily and I movies of trains delivering sushi to their table. It's kind of cool. Different cultural things that they get to participate in. And they love it. But they are careful to celebrate American holidays with their daughter. Why? Because they want her to know her identity. So that when they come back to the United States, because one day they will move back to the United States, she understands American culture as well, so that she has an identity when she gets back here. A diplomat has to be careful to maintain their identity, or they can get lost in the culture in which they're living. They have to take care, take steps. As Christians, we also have to take steps to maintain our identity. That might be fasting. It might be other spiritual disciplines, something like regular devotion, setting aside time for silence, setting aside time to meditate on Scripture, extensive prayer, reading the Bible. There is an expectation, again, that we maintain our identity as Christ followers. We live away from the kingdom, away from heaven, on earth. If we are not careful to maintain our identity, we'll get lost. So as we are stewarding today, make sure that we recognize that this isn't actually where we belong. This is where we've been sent for now. Maintain your identity. Work at it. So, my challenge to you, the action step I want you to take, is I want you to determine to practice a spiritual discipline. It might be that you need to determine today that for the next month, because if you can do something for a month, it can become a habit, you're going to set aside 10 minutes a day to read your Bible. And you're going to be disciplined in it to maintain your identity. Maybe it's prayer that you need to focus on. If you can challenge yourself to pray for 30 minutes a day in a one-time setting, you will find that praying longer than 30 minutes, you start to go deep. You get out of that surface-level prayer, and you get into some deep things in your relationship with God. Maybe that's the discipline you need to practice. Maybe you need to practice meditation on the passage of Scripture, where you take a passage of Scripture and you focus on it, and you look at it, and you memorize it, and you try to understand what it says deeply. Maybe you need to practice fasting. 
where you declare, I'm going to not eat for a period of time. Maybe it's 24 hours. And when I'm hungry, I'm going to remember, oh yeah, my identity is not here. I need to focus on God. I don't know what the discipline is that God's leading you to practice, but I want you to determine to practice a spiritual discipline to check your identity. So we've had three commands. Give, communicate, and maintain your identity. And I want to get to the fourth. And I'm only going to use verses 19 through 21. We could go on in this passage. There's a lot here. But let's just focus on 19 through 21. 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're commanded to invest. We're commanded to invest. But only in what matters. We're diplomats. We are here temporarily on assignment. You might be tempted to invest here. You might see things going on around you and think, I should, I should put my, my investment here. This is going to grow. But... One day, you're not going to be here. I know if you are a Christ follower, I know where your retirement is, and it's not here. So the question is, where are you going to invest? We're called here not to invest in this present earth. We're only here temporarily. We're only here on assignment. We're called to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We are called to place our retirement in heaven, where we know we'll be. So the warning is, if you invest here, there's lots of problems. There's moths, there's rust, there's thieves. Think about in Bible times, what would be the treasures that they could own? Clothing is actually really valuable. Moths destroy clothing. Coins are really valuable. Coins rust, especially ancient coins. And if you've solved both of those problems, your front door isn't actually that secure. And someone can break in and take it all. And to that, Jesus responds, don't store it up there. Don't store up in the place that you're not even going to be. Store up in heaven, where you know you will be, where your retirement is secure. So here's my action. Will you invest in the kingdom? You can invest. God gives us the option of investing. He says where he gives us. You can invest it where you want. But investing it in the kingdom is the place to be. We're called to be diplomats. What that means is that we have a mission here. We've been assigned here. And I don't know how long my assignment is here. I don't know how long your assignment is here. But the one thing I know is that this assignment is temporary. One day, the assignment's going to be over. And the question that I want to have the good answer to, 
is where did I invest while I was on assignment? And I hope it's in heaven. I hope that I can say I've invested with the king. As we are diplomats, we give, but we do so covertly. Why? Because we're drawing not attention to ourselves, but to God. We communicate, but we don't draw attention to ourselves. Why? Because that communication is with God, and that's the purpose behind it. We maintain our identity, but we don't give ourselves away. Why? Because it is our relationship with God. Do you notice the theme here? Everything that we do here is forming a relationship with God in our diplomacy. It's not about us. It's about God. And so it makes sense that we would invest, not in ourselves, but in God. So we are in the middle of our stewardship campaign. We talked last week about being managers. We talked this week about being diplomats. Next week, you'll have to see. But I'll tell you what. What we're going to see is that it is another characteristic of God that defines who we are. God was the owner, we're the managers. God is the king, we're the diplomats. We'll see another characteristic of God who defines us. I thank God that it's him who defines me and not the other way around. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the one who defines who we are, that you're the one who gives us our mission, that you see fit to let us be diplomats for you. And as we think about stewardship, this is one more aspect of stewarding all that you've given us. I pray that we would invest that wisely, whether that be time that we invest in prayer, in maintaining our identity, or resources that we invest through giving or investing directly in the kingdom. I pray that you would help us to invest wisely, that we would serve you not for our own glory, but rather to draw attention to you. You are the king. We're merely diplomats. Help us to remember that. It is all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.